Hello and welcome to episode I have no fucking idea what it is. Um, but we are back, recharged and ready to go. This is the How Not Podcast, hosted by me, Luke Abani. And me, Kim McCurry. And we hope that you've enjoyed our return to the podcast, Superstar Airwaves. If you've missed um, the episode so far with the lovely Adam Jeans and our celebration of James Baldwin, go back. Go back. Reverse, reverse. Did I just do a cha-cha slide reference in the first 30 seconds? Right. Anyway, continuing on now. Um, go back and listen to them. And anyway, we are here this evening with a very special guest. And our guest for this episode is someone who has had a profound impact on me, offering mentorship and a chance to perform throughout my journey as an emerging artist here in London town. They are also someone who offered many a shiny pearl of wisdom accompanied by a nightcap or six in this very room. Shiny what? <laughs> Behave! Don't speak until you're welcomed. <laughs> this evening we find ourselves, of course, in the gorgeous London abode of the legendary Ian Shaw. Ian, how are you? Oh, I'm very, very well. Uh, there's always comedy around Kim McCary. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us, how did you, well, well, not how did you two meet, was it how you met? No. 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 But how I met Ian Yeah. was a night that you both were present. Yes. So Tell, you were a contestant on, on the X Factor. No. Yeah. <laughs> um, Who was the Simon Best Cowell? in show. <laughs> were you yeah. Simon? Was you I? Simon? Was I really? <gasps> So Scandalous. it was the final of uh, Young Scottish Jazz Musician of the Year. It was at Drygate, part of Glasgow Jazz Festival. Yeah. It was you. Fergus McCready. Fergus. The, oh, thousandth yeah. time, bless him. Oh, surprisingly. Yeah. Uh, Joe Williamson. Yep, who won it. Yeah. The bastard. No, I love you, Joe. Matt Carmichael. Matt Carmichael. And, and uh, one of the Money Brothers, wasn't sure. it? Uh, Connor. Connor bassist, right? Mm-hmm. Connor. Connor Murray. Um... Judging panel was you, Ian, because you were doing a gig there, right? I think so. Yeah, yeah we were, you doing, were doing, the f- doing the Blue Arrow. That's right. Yeah, that with would be Barry. a gig. Yeah, with Barry Green. I remember green. eating chips and chicken nuggets in the street with you and Barry. Yeah, yeah, and your brilliant friend Meg Bird. Yeah, yeah. Meg Bird. Anyway. Okay, we'll come back to that. Uh, and Amy Pierce was yeah. one of the other oh, judges. Amy Pierce. Um, and Martin Kershaw. Yeah. Oh. So there's the four of us. Yeah. It was a panel from hell and heaven. Yeah. <laughs> the best. And so it was the, the sound check was fraught because there was a weird thing with the booking where the venue said you can't make any noise until like five minutes before the gig. Everyone was very stressed. Then we all the judges had dinner and what did I do? Because <laughs> <laughs> I only I'd heard you play, so I'd seen you from afar. Yeah. But I hadn't we hadn't hung out, I yeah. think. And uh, we were all very, very hungry. And it, they, they were lovely, but they were busy. Yeah. And it, all the food arrived at the same time. And you ordered this amazing steak and yeah. chips. And it arrived on a on a table <laughs> top. <laughs> it was one of those funky board, you know, breadboard things. Yeah. <laughs> it was very gingerly placed in front of your Royal Highness, Kim. And uh, you dug in. And something happened with the wrist and the elbow. And it flipped up like a lid on a toy box 
and you then wore the entire sa- not just steak and chips but salad, salad. garnish yeah. mayonnaise and then you at that moment your parents turned up yes it was like some sort of brilliant <laughs> script that went a, very right it was a, for me and I hadn't even t- terrible giggles taken one online. bite Oh, no, no, you hadn't. And so my mum and dad arrived. Is that he, why I didn't win? You were hungry. <laughs> Ian and Amy were picking bits of steak and tatties off my legs. <laughs> hi, mum. Hi, dad. You Hello. ate your father. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, and then, luckily, I had to change the clothes. I just got this tattoo the day before. I remember. It's a stunning yeah. tattoo. Did you, have a, did you have the cling film on it? I did. You did. Um, my parents very gave me this for my 30th birthday. Yeah. I just had this put on. You could have done with a cling film for your no, t-shirt. Absolutely covered in cling film. That's actually not a tattoo. It's, it's, it's third degree burns from steak and chips. She's, she's, she's fashioned it into an, a Serge Clerc style tattoo. Just made it work. I've made it work. I've made it work. And then you broke our hearts. You sang and I welled up because I was just giggling until then because I couldn't lose. And was that the first time situation. you'd heard Luca sing? No, I'd heard Lucas sing because Leanne Carroll posted something on the right. book, book of Face, and it was—I uh, remember the song actually. It was—it was. It was no, I, I should go. Yes, it was. I should go. Done as a ballad. Because I remember. Yeah, I—I mm. I was all made up because you'd shared it on the book. And of I remember. Face. Oh my god! This is a proper singer. It was really exciting for singing me. Singing from the heart, little young me. And yeah, and you looked so beautiful, and you were in a room with that um, the gorgeous piano, piano player, yeah. Yeah, yeah, Alan Benzi. Yeah. One of my first teachers. And I played it and played it and played it, and I think I reposted it. Yeah, and the digital world. So I thought, I've got to meet him. But it was good to... Yeah, I remember meeting you, and, and you did say that I'd broken your heart, which was really lovely. Mm. And then we went... I can't remember if it was that night or the night after. No, then I didn't get to come see your gig because I was doing... I was opening for Georgie Fame at the fruit market. Yeah, you were. So I couldn't come and see your gig, but I met you and Barry afterwards and we were, and it was the point where the Blue Arrow had just opened in Glasgow <coughs> and Cheryl, in all of her beautiful chaos, was hosting the mm. jam, which was, you know, I did miss the, the Brunswick basement situation but I remember you took a shine to Cheryl didn't you, you liked yeah I did crazy Cheryl and, and yeah. we went and and it was an amazing gig because was, nobody could get to it because it was the time when the, the university fire, building had gone yeah. on fire was yeah. it the university building the art school, school. Yeah, yeah, the art second school. fire yeah. the eye very mysterious mm. yeah. the most flammable building yeah. on earth yeah. Mm. Yeah, so it was all like cordoned off, wasn't it? So trying but to I do remember that actually being quite a fun time in Sucky Old Street history because then what you had was the beautiful, resourceful kind of people of Glasgow decided to just put lots of that old kind of fly tipped furniture in the streets. Did so they? You'd come out of clubs and you'd sit on a couch, which was actually <laughs> quite amazing. And then you'd meet people, it was, oh, I've been in Sleazy Snow, oh, I've been in Firewater, and there would be this kind of like block party eruption after all yeah, club nights. So actually, I kind of missed that, to be yeah. honest. But. I don't miss the scabies that you got off the flat up furniture, but yeah. you know it's all part and parcel of a good night out in Glasgow. <laughs> I had a I had a boyfriend once who um, gave me scabies oh, and shit. crabs in the same oh, week. True romance. Twice <laughs> scabies you can only really get once, but crabs you get once and then you get rid of it with some sort of windowlean crab away oh sort God. of silken thing, and then three days later the little sod obviously get. He'd obviously been with someone else, <gasps> Kim. The scandal. And, and he told, yeah, and I got more crabs, different, different family of different crabs. Family. Different, actually, nicer crabs than the first lot. <laughs> and I remember I was getting on a plane to go and meet Sarah Jane Morris to do a festival in Milano. No, not in Milan, that's where we were changing. And she didn't make the flight, so I was on my own. 
And I thought, I'll just have a little... And I'd got some crab away from the airport. Or oh, just have a little what, you know? No, just have a little lie down in the hotel. And I slathered myself in crab away thinking, when I wake up, these little crabs will be no more. Woke up covered in fucking mosquito bites. Oh, my God! So the mosquitoes must have thought... Never mind his crabs. We'll show him. We'll show him what properly bites. But anyway, the 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 the, the guy that I didn't go out with anymore. I said, you, "You've given me crabs twice. That means you're seeing someone else." Mm. If there's no, he said, "No, no, no, no." In Leytonstone, they live in the furniture. Today. <laughs> That's an interesting. They live in the furniture. Shit, you heard it here first. So every time I, I think of you know, um, very mild. It's not an STD, is it? It's just animals in your pubes. Man, <laughs> pubes are no more, are they? Pubes. What's happened to pubes? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> no, I think there's a pubes renaissance. There is oh, a pubes please. renaissance, but actually, the the fashion of no pubes probably did help crabs to become like. Less extinct. Annoying. Yeah, extinct. And now the pubes are back, but less animal ridden, hopefully. But I think, actually, there's quite a, a dying of pubes f- phenomenon happening. Well, again, we're going out with the pubes again. Do you think no, it's no, going no, back? dying as in colour <laughs> Oh, not a perishing. I thought perishing <laughs> yeah. as well. Perishing. But, so I wonder, I mean, peroxide or crabs, who's going to win? Oh, yeah, so they're, they're, yeah, actually, someone's going down. You could keep the crabs at bay by... I miss pubic hair. I mean, I miss a lustrous mound, bush, yeah. however you want to call it. Sure. It's, it's I'm like here for gossip. it, yeah. Yeah. yeah you I'm just don't necessarily want a slight sort of underground movement of crabs within no. it. No. I mean, I... No. Mm. I just no, think it was public no. lice, because they... You know, they are quite public when they get going, aren't they, crabs? Oh my it's God. pubic lice, isn't it? So I misread it. But I also misread Aberdeen Steakhouse. I thought it was steak. Steak? Oh, my and God, steak. It's a steak. Just part steak of the local house. dialect. Oh, that that yeah. Doric je- <laughs> yeah, delicacy. Which brings us right back to your tea, which you <laughs> yeah, wore which in front yeah, of your it's parents. It's an Aberdeen steak, no doubt. <laughs> I'm sure. That's it, so I wore some steak. And now, here we are after all this time. Here we are. You fed us food and none of it is on my clothes. And and it wasn't steak either. It wasn't steak. It wasn't steak. It was delicious. Yeah. We're we're the worst. In case any of you want to invite um, me and Kimmer in for dinner, hownotpodcast at gmail.com. We have terrible dietary requirements. Well, I'm a fucking dirty vegan and Kim is gluten free. So, unless you want me to be shitting everywhere and Kim dying, um, (laughs) you should probably, yeah, adhere to the requirements. Have you got celiac Johnson disease? Yeah. So, I deny, which is always forever married to Ronnie Scott's in my head, because we once went out for dinner with some friends to a Greek place, and then we were going to go on to Ronnie's, and at that point, I felt like, hmm, there's a rumble in the tumble Mm -hmm. that I'm not super keen on, so I was like, you go. Have a great time. See you later. And then I guess I was like four minutes walk away from home when I just completely pooed my pants. Mm. And then I was standing thinking, I'm a grown up. No one's coming to save me. Like no one's, <laughs> no one's coming to help me do this. Like, you can't just shout mommy in the <laughs> exactly. street, can you? <laughs> I, I'll either just have to live in shit or I'll have to just deal with it. Mm. So I phoned my husband and said, just make sure you stay out for like a good few drinks. <laughs> so I can sort this out and I'm glad I didn't come to Rodney's try not to shit yourself because I'm shit for everyone <laughs> exactly. yeah. only one of us shitting her night <coughs> and yeah it could have been Ronnie's. could have been the late show yeah I mean mm. maybe I'd worse well on the subject of Ronnie's, I remember 
seeing it in for the first time at Ronnie's. And what I was blown away by was like Ronnie's to me, like when I first came to London, it was it was actually quite hard for me to relate to it as a venue. Like I found it quite not stuffy, stuff is the wrong word, but I, I couldn't find my place in it. Yeah. Like I it yeah. was quite difficult to I felt out of place. And I yeah. remember my mum coming for the first time and oh my god, like trying to order a glass of wine was a struggle because you know she was a couple of drinks in and she everyone just thinks she's shouting all the time but that's just folk <laughs> from Glasgow you know and can I have a glass of white wine and they go what kind of wine and she goes white <laughs> no no what what kind of white you know they're looking for like a oh. wine list and bless her and so for all these reasons I found it hard to exist in a space like that but but I remember seeing you there for the first time and it just felt like it could have been your living room. There was a transformed atmosphere, and like how, Aww. how do you feel? Like because now it's it's something that probably feels like a bit of a home for you. But like, how do you? What's your relationship with Ronnie's now? Like over um, time, I I I suppose I suffer there because I'm ubiquitous because I present their radio show. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. I'm always in the corner, you know. Yeah, yeah you have your your, and I think, your throne. Yeah, and I think, oh, you know, when I'm dead, that's gonna still gonna be my seat, and people are gonna weep. It They're will. Probably not. But the, how do I feel about it? It's I love it there because it's... I used to sing with Ronnie. Yeah. So I remember... And I remember having the same feeling as you. I remember having that kind of... Going in there and feeling deliciously terrified. Yeah, yeah. You it's know, like so this iconic I'm somewhere space. that I've only read about. And yeah. also I had Sarah Vaughan, Sassy Live at Ronnie's when I was oh, a kid. So mm. I heard it. I had it on record, you know. And my dad knew Ronnie Scott a little bit because my dad played cornet and trumpet. Right. So he knew the whole vibe you know Vic Ash as well so it was yeah it was and then it became a concert concert hall and my living room mm. and there's nowhere in the world really oh, the place I can think of is Dizzy's you know mm-hmm. the Lincoln Centre mm. that's sort of got that when I play there that feels like you've that's got that like beautiful room that looks over, over gorgeous windows Peckham. in New York <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but you know what? If that was in London, it would just be a council estate. It would, it? yeah. Out, out yeah. the back, yeah, lots of <laughs> high buildings. But in New York, it's New York, son. Oh. Yeah, so it's it it still is magical. Every time I um, walk in there, mm. you yeah. just know that whatever happens on any scale, even if, you know, the other night I met this young millionaire, which mm. I was quite fascinated by, and he was very honest about how he made his money through Bitcoin and things. Mm-hmm. And yeah. Really weird, but such a nice guy. And he said, this is the first time I've been here and I'm going to come here again and again. And I said, well, put your money where your mouth is. And yeah. Put some gigs on, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Put, pay some musicians. You know, I don't know whether he has. I've forgotten his name. He lived, lived in a hotel. He lives in a hotel around the corner. So when I go to Ronnie Scott's, pretty much when I go any, anywhere in Soho, actually, things always happen. happen. They yeah, don't it's not so happen. True. There's there's yeah. always some event, you yeah. know, which sometimes or someone. Yeah. Yeah. You know, they it, the events come from people, I suppose, yeah. don't they? And situations there and characters. Yeah. And when you're on stage, I mean I never take it for granted. I'm sure you don't either. You know, you're on stage there and Oh no, it's it's a magical the ghosts moment. are swirling yeah. around you and pushing you and pulling you. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I guess without sounding a little uh, you know, a bit sort of de trop. No, but it's that, it is that. Noir, but. Connection to the ground, to the, not just the structure of the stage, but just well, the, 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 the performance of it. You yeah. know that people have gone in your. It's a cultural institution. Yeah. It's like the same yeah. thing as walking into the Vanguard and thinking, yeah, like, Coltrane played here yeah. in yeah. these walls. And 
Yeah. Is she still alive, Lorraine? I can't think whether she is or not. I think she is. I think she is. She must be nearly 90 now. It is, it is the same as the Vanguard, but it's not the same as some of the other clubs in New York. No. That, that have kind of, I think, sold out. Mm. And I think they sold out in the 90s. All the, you know, the drink minimum thing. You'd never get that in Ronnie's, you know. It's hard, isn't it? I think Because Ronnie's is interesting because you always, you always get people who, um, and, and these people are really important to keeping the business running, that want to come and have really big dinners with their yeah, friends. Yeah, expensive. And we'll talk, we'll fight against the music to mm. have conversations. Mm, mm. And I'm sure this would be more enjoyable if you were in having a quiet conversation. But like, mm. th- it's a really interesting space because just being in it is what people are drawn to, not just like the music. Whereas I oh, think... Oh yeah, it's like a... Cultural now. Some of those yeah. venues in New York, there's nothing there's nothing else, right? No. You're gonna go in, it is a small room, you are sitting and watching music. There's mm. no other and so it's like with your foot with, with sometimes with your chair nailed to the ground and you have to sort of yeah. watch side on. <laughs> and like someone's like true. next to you. <coughs> I love smalls, but you do sit sideways and you have to sort of Linda Blair your way around to the sort of <laughs> yeah. You have to fork out for a chiropractor <laughs> after every yeah. viewing. But it's hard because like you have to make money somewhere. Of course. Don't yeah. you? And yeah. Ronnie's is in prime real estate location. Yep. You've got to be making pull. something it's happen. Expensive. It's expensive. And New York is the same. I mean, it, how anyone manages to run any club in New York is, oh, it's is a, like it's a miracle. just mm. incredible. It's a miracle, yeah. Going back to that, what was your first experience of Soho? Or experiences? <laughs> well, my dad said, well, I came to London when I was 17, so right. I was a little baby. You're from Wales, was, right? Yeah, yeah, small yeah. Towns. So I came before college started. And then I had um, a major operation, so I missed my freshers' week. So Me too, because I was having an did operation. You? Yeah. Did you? Okay. I had a testicle removed. <gasps> I had a womb operation. You see? Yes! Shut up! <laughs> Kimmy's wearing dungarees. I've and never I... felt so much. Mo- Does anyone want to give me a fucking... Who wants to chop my dick off? Like, I've been so left out. Come on. <laughs> Give you a quick lobotomy. Yeah, job. yeah. Or at least a fucking circumcision or something. That's right. <laughs> oh my gosh. So we both... Well, because Kim is wearing dungarees and I love a dungaree and I had to wear them because I was in so much... Right. I needed a lot of swishy... Freedom. ...room, yeah. So I came to London with just the one testicle but I was about to be fitted for a second one. I can't believe we're talking about <laughs> pubic lice and testicles. <laughs> yeah. I promise I'll keep it around the front. <laughs> Everything. <laughs> um, but, uh, so my my when I hit London, I got a job in a kitchen in Bloomsbury. In, uh-huh. uh, in fact, in Hughesbury Hall basement kitchen. I loved it there, and I loved it there more than I loved college. So right. I met all these amazing immigrants, as they were called then, and they still are. Unfortunately, we're all immigrants. But I just met, met this kind of array of people from different. Countries from different cultures, from different age groups, different sexualities. And then I went to college and I just found it so fucking boring and <laughs> stiff and white and mm. middle We've class. We've talked about this, haven't we? Yeah. Yes. I hated yeah, every second yeah. of it. But I like, I, I like my fellow students, but I'm doing a B Moz in 19, from 1980 to 83 or whatever it was, 84. That was not where I should have been. I should have gone mm. to... I, I got into RADA and my dad went very wisely. He said, you can always be an actor. He said, but get, mm. you know, get some sort of musical academic thing behind you. Mm-hmm. Load of old shite. It was. <laughs> B-Muzz. Served you well. Well, I remember going to the first lecture. perhaps any institution would have... Yeah. Been, do you know yeah. what I mean? It's that whole thing of like... But, uh, you know, one foot in, one foot out. <laughs> yeah, like, I know. You, you know, I there know. you were, like, skipping around 
Soho learned picking w- up the vibe and here comes Soho. So my dad would, yeah. whatever you do, don't go to Soho. Meaning, wink, wink. Definitely. Get your ass yeah, into Soho. Just dropping that thought. Yeah. In your, yeah, and it was record shops at first. So mm-hmm. I found jazz records first, and then, and then it was the well, the Hundred Club, Ronnie's, uh, the Colony. I'm oh. afraid to say. So I found the Colony room. There's, I've still got my my membership card from 40 years ago up there, and I just got. You know, I was in there and I met all these people that I'd, I'd never heard of half of them, including Molly Parkin, who who's adorning my walls. God bless her, she's nearly 90 now. And I just found, and Soho just, I just went, it felt like somebody had gone, great family, lovely sister, mum, dad, everything, but get a load of this. Yeah. And while you're getting a load of it, I'm, we're going to protect you. Yeah, yeah. And it's it still feels a little bit like that now. I think... Um, you know, the whole kind of LGBT scene there is is very protective. Mm. But I know it's based on money, a lot of it. But it's there. You know, mm. that wasn't there when I was there. It was all kind of Maltese, Italian. There were a couple of clubs, but they weren't really... Uh, were they? I don't know. There was uh, there was Heaven down the road, Charing Cross, yeah. where I worked and as was a waiter. The, the story before that, was it not? G.A.Y. That, that yeah, was yeah. just a bit after my... Well, not after my time, but... Yeah, G.A.Y. was... That was fairly revolutionary at the time because it was a big fucking game. Yeah, it was, it was like we're you yeah, look at us. Yeah. We're not we're not shouting, but we're bigger than everything in the road, and it's yeah. gone now. It's a shame. Beautiful building that, but yeah. Ronnie's was was absolutely a bit homophobic. There, mm. uh, you know, had to sort of really sort of dance around that a while mm-hmm. until Pete Pete King. Discovered through the Metro D there, Wendy, who lives in New York now, in Brooklyn actually, that I had a partner who got AIDS. Mm-hmm. And one day he brought me into the office and he went, Here's 400 quid just to help you out with your mate. Oh. No. And I just thought, Ah, okay. That's that's how you show that kind, yeah, of, yeah, yeah. That kind of empathy and that oh. kind of. And that's fine. That's yep. absolutely fine. You know. Oh, what a lovely so it was. Thing. It was always very supportive, Ronnie Scott. But in so. terms of, and is it the same for you? Do you feel embraced? Yeah, I mean, it, I, I mean, I do. Mm. I really do. I think because of the that beautifully bohemian nature of Soho and the space that exists, and mm. like, you know, in between your sound check and the gig, you can take one walk around the block, and you're guaranteed yeah. to see such a variety yeah. of expressive people. It, it does. I, I don't look out of place, right? Which is amazing, yeah. and yeah. I love that. And, um, yeah, like, in terms of Ronnie's as a club, like, I remember, like, doing a live stream for them back in January, and then, like, oh, somebody beautiful. had, like, yeah. commented that I was, taking it upon themselves to comment that I was somehow disrespecting the art form of jazz based on how I was dressed or whatever. And the club were actually really good at, like, before I even was aware that the comments had been made, they were already kind of, like, kicking back and supporting me and... Mm. And it was really nice to have that because it meant that I didn't have to fight it on my own. Like, mm-hmm. Not mm-hmm. that I'm incapable, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. it was just nice that before I'd even said anything, they were kind of on it and dealing with it. Mm-hmm. And um, Yeah, I do feel really welcome there. And like, it, it's so beautiful to know. I mean, even like like Jackie on the door and like just people that like, you know, when you get to know people and like, you just feel that like you can be yourself around them. It actually makes for a better gig, doesn't it? It's like you can be mm. yourself on the stage. Yeah, yeah. It's so sad that you have to, like, that's such a thing to be grateful for. But I think it still is, actually. Because, mm. like, when you... I don't know how you two feel about this, but I feel like we all are quite, like, 
how we we put a lot of who we are into what we put on the stage. Yeah. Mm. So like doing that in any space, any unknown <coughs> space can still be quite a daunting thing, I think, all the time. Every and that's part time, of why yeah. we do it, right? Because yeah, we love that yeah. vulnerability thing. But yeah. like, you know, you never quite know if there's gonna be no kickback. So mm. yeah, Ronnie's is great. I love it. Yeah. I love it. Uh, you, you can push things I, I think when you get the thing when you get old what I love about um the well your generation um you can't dress it up I'm older than you what I love about your generation is the honesty and uh I've uh, it was very different when I was 22 you're 22 you're 26 33 oh same age as Jesus darling yes yes but it's it's um it was different you had to very sort of not timidly but you had to very subtly sort of just kind of tiptoe amongst the sort of the these sort of landmines really of mm-hmm. an unexpected explosion that could really 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 destroy you, you yeah know? and that's that has happened to me but what also has happened was me saying Ronnie Scott saying to me great tune love a man why don't you sing that and I said okay can I he said I know what you're going to ask me he said you sing what you feel wow this was Ronnie you know Ronald shot Mm. you know Jewish marginalised from a very little boy you know did his thing um Always felt that he like he couldn't play the horn as good as anyone around him, you know. Booked zoot. A lot of demons, right? Yeah, very kind of not confident, not a confident play at all. And I think he silently and subtly recognised my sexuality. They both mm. did. Pete and oh, I had rocks with them as well. They were very, very difficult people very, mm. to be around. They were caught between two two generations of stuff. You yeah, know? they weren't hippies. They weren't beatniks. Yeah, they were kind of seventies men. You know, mm. they were, you know, pre-Thatcher seventies men that had done well, but struggled so phenomenally. Right, you know, and they had to sell out, sell out in terms of some of the music they put on there. You know, Charlie Watts was just gone, mm-hmm. um, and Charlie used to do his big band there, and he used to pay the whole of the band. It didn't didn't go into the coffers of the profits of Ronnie Scotts and things like that happened. All, all along, you know, the Who played there, the Stones played there. Yeah. yeah. They had to put on this broad music, which now has gone back to doing that. Exactly, yeah, yeah. It's a very broad it's thing. There. I remember standing on stage singing, the first time I sang Love A Man Where Can You Be, which is a beautiful arrangement by Adrian York, and it was recorded for my first album, live at Ronnie Scott's. And I just thought, what am I doing? Mm. Jesus Christ. And this was this was just after Clause 28, so this yeah. is 91. So 1988 was when it sort of kicked off into, and then went into the 90s. And I just thought, fuck it, I'm going to do it. I'm just going to do it. I'm just going to do it. Not only did I do, do it, I did it. I sort of went, love a man. <laughs> <laughs> Make sure they hear it. Don't get it twisted. Yeah. But there was... And again and again I mean, and again and again I did it. You know, I've never changed gender. There was I've never no one... It. Is that an important thing to you? Like Absolutely. pronouns in songs? Yeah, like, pronouns are vital. Because yeah. for me, it feels comfortable to sing he... Um, for Mark Murphy, he could never do that. I've sure. always found that so interesting about Mark because Mark was someone yeah. you knew, and I've I've spoken endlessly to yeah. you about yeah. how much I wish you'd I'm known him too. In love with Mark, but I find it so interesting because, yeah, it was just something that he it's like when you know, you know, and it gives yeah. the the records a whole different yeah. meaning. But yeah. it also makes it super sad because yeah. he's singing 
about women on the surface of it, but you yeah. know there's so many layers there to it. It's glorious. His last two or three albums, when he oh, the pronouns became less, and mm. he of, of, must have been obviously choosing songs where he didn't have to sing she. Yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, and yeah, because he'd gone fuck it to the old crooner thing that yeah. he tried so hard to. And when he sings, "Why was I born into I'm a fool to want you?" Mm. The ho- a whole life that's of, so stunning man. of generationally generational entrapment of pronoun hell yeah. must have come, come out in that whole thing, you know. Or even like that tune, "I know you from somewhere." Oh, where it's just beautiful. about someone. It's it, it's this beautiful mm. ambiguity to it, mm. but yet we've all been there in that setting in that moment. It's just storytelling. That's all mm. it is. Do it's you know? What, do you know what that's about? Great. No, tell us. Tell us. Tell it's us, tell about. Us. A woman that he met the day after uh, 9-11. The day after. And they had this huge conversation and shared all their, you know, their sort of collective grief for the city, for people, for everything. Mm. The day after the towers came down. And um, he just wrote, he got his notebook out and he wrote that lyric. Um, that's that's where that's that quite amazing, story yeah. came from. But Don't Ask Why is a beautiful one, which is an Alan Ball bench. Tune, and it's about being gay, you know, right. uh, searching for the dark in order to find the light. You know, things that yeah. whole kind of um, Langston Hughes. Yeah, show, yeah very sort of, that. Uh, was your? I mean, did he speak to you about it? Like, was it like a thing that he about love and falling well, yeah, in love? Yeah, love, and because obviously, he had like a long term partner, right? Eddie, right? Eddie, yeah, Eddie died. Never, he ne- never got over that. Didn't yeah. he just couldn't get through it? You know, we were touring with George Grunts and the orchestra in Europe, and he everywhere reminded him of Eddie because mm. they'd gone there for holidays. I think Zurich and Zermatt and all these weird sort of places where they decided they wanted to put this weird jazz opera on with an orchestra. And it was me, Mark, uh, uh, an Italian singer called Tiziana, and Norma Winston. I think was it Norma Winston? It's oh, terrible, terrible. I don't remember these things. Oh, I know. Um, oh, no, I don't. <laughs> It'll come back to me. You see, if this was edited, it would be great, but it's not. I know yeah. you're not going to edit this. Sorry. Part. No, we're going to have all your comments. <laughs> yeah. Fading memory. But uh, Mark was... Um, he fell in love with a friend of mine, a, y- a young guy who was straight. And that was really, really, really sad to see. Yeah. And I remember once uh, this, this young guy who's a musician, actually, plays trumpet... He let him hold him. We went back to Mark's bedroom and a bedroom. We went back back to Mark's hotel room, and Mark put his hand on his 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 neck like that, and Mark, and and Toby just left it there. And mm. I just thought that was very sweet. Yeah. Um, but I could see Mark had, was focused on this really nice guy. Yeah. Uh, and I thought, ah, you've got a crush on my friend. Yeah. And it was interesting to see that rueful dynamic, you know, that kind of, oh, well, you know, he got very exhausted with himself yeah. towards yeah. the end of his yeah. life, which was sort of, I recognised it, you know. And he was forever sleeping on my sofa and waking up and saying the weirdest things, like he looked down one morning, and he was wearing what looked like ladies' stockings. I mean, L-A-D-Y, ladies' stockings from 1970, you know. He said, I'm wearing hose! Hose! And it was those, you know, those kind of dress socks? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Awkward things. like pop socks, you know. And he'd, 
I said, why have you got those? He said, oh, I don't know. Somebody gave them to me. He was, was a brilliant, brilliant human, really, but never fulfilled as a, as a, as a human, mm. I don't think. And everything went into his music. I mean, as soon as he's on stage, you know, it just poured out of him. Even when he had no, hardly any breath, he was exhausted. His last thing at Ronnie Scott's, you know, I, he wouldn't let me. I had to sit on the stage next to him. Mm. I said, and we made a joke about it. I said, can I go now? Because I want to watch your gig. And he went, mm. no! <laughs> I sat there just like... He needed you there. Hour. And he said, pour me some red wine. <laughs> some red wine. That's some sort of ventriloquist <laughs> puppet. Pour me some Coca-Cola. You know, he was a very, very unusual eccentric but yeah. Leanne reminds me of Marcus right okay. that sort of unusualness that yeah. beautiful um, happenstance is a glorious thing you know when, yeah. when it happens with Leanne Carroll in the room do you know what I mean yeah. it's like something just happened you know at the breakfast that she just came down we were in a hotel somewhere and we'd had a few the night before and she just came down and there was a huge jug of um, milk and she loves a cold milk and she just necked the whole <laughs> Oh. <laughs> and I love her for that. <clears throat> yeah, you know, Mark was a bit yeah. like that as well. He was very unusual. He didn't. He didn't believe in suitcases. So when we were on tour, he'd have a a suitcase pull along thing. Um, he had a handbag that his friend uh, um, uh, Rachel had given to him, and then carrier bags tied round, almost oh, yeah. like a rough sleeper would. I heard about you know, this, yeah. mm. with wigs and glue and novels and books and notes and he loved rings and he was just he was a real boho you know in the old old sense of the word you know a real minstrel yeah Yeah. lovely Mark Murphy I feel like there's a lot of you know talking about Mark and Leanne like (laughs) you amazing glorious beautiful people orbit around your world and I love it and one of my favourite things that I imagine when I think of you is not imagine because it happened but that I dreamed that I was there was the story about your bringing together of Amy Winehouse and Fran Landisman. Oh, yeah. And these two amazing... Can you tell us a bit about that? Because I just yeah, love that this, was, that was this really... painting in my head of this. Well, you don't know that these things are special until those people have gone. Yeah, you that's know, the sad just, thing about it. It felt really kind of normal, really, mm. to... Um, you know, I remember saying to Amy, uh, you've got to... You know, you, you, you're loving doing covers of songs. Covers, I mean, it's people... You know, songs that other people have written, right. covers, you know. And um, she'd done Moody's Mood and she was doing Tenderly and things. And I said, you've got to meet Fran Landersman because you're just going to really love to do it. Oh, yeah, she's quite resistant at first. And I said, come and meet Fran. So, and who who was Fran? For, oh, well, Fran Landersman, for, Fran Landersman was one of the, she was called one of the beatnik poets, really, right. who became a lyricist almost by accident. And Tommy Wolfe, who was a cabaret performer, pianist, singer, wrote a song called um, Spring Can Spring Really, really Hanging Up The Most. And he wrote it notoriously very difficult to sing because mm-hmm. he hated playing for other singers. So he thought, I'm going to just write God, this song. God, is that why yeah. like it's so fucking awkward? Yeah. And they wrote, originally wrote it as a kind of... And it's become this very languorous sort of Shaka Khan's record. We've all yeah, had a go at it, you know. It's a very difficult... Have you played it? Mm-hmm. It's a beautiful line, <laughs> isn't it, to play? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it really is stunning. And um, <clears throat> so Fran Lanson wrote that. She also wrote um, with um, uh, Bob DeRoe, um, mm-hmm. came from St. Louis, St. Louis, and ended up in New York. And she was part of that whole loft scene and the whole te- uh, Ted Cassidy, you know, the uh, Kerouac, post Kerouac, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, really. Yeah, that kind of thing, yeah. And she was suddenly a lyricist 
in the way that people were lyricists that collaborated with with writers. Yeah. You know, yeah. So Lorenz Hart and Richard Rogers and Lawrence Hart, you know, Oscar Hammerstein, Irving Berlin. And she, it was Fran Landersman and Tommy Wolfe, or Fran Landersman and Bob Duro. And she wrote that incredible song about um, being a, a gay man that couldn't tell anyone but his oh closest female friends, you know. Yeah, um, the, the ballads. Ballads of the sad young yeah. man. You know, tired little girl does the best she can. And Fran, I got to know Fran from the alternative cabaret scene because I was a stand-up comedian, sit-down mm. comedian. No, I did stand-up because I had a guitarist at the time. So I met her doing that and I was absolutely fascinated by her. And then I forgot about her. And then years later I was in a punk, post-punk band with somebody called Miles Davis Landersman. And he said, oh, my mum's a lyricist, you should meet oh, her. Oh, God. And we went back and... You know, we had cider and things in Duncan Terrace. And then the next morning, and I kind of forgot about his mum because I was so excited about the band in the basement and singing this, Absence makes the heart grow fonder. Absence <laughs> makes the heart grow weary. <laughs> you know, just... I thought, you know, I'm a Rosillo. Oh, you know? I've made it. Yeah. And then in the morning, I slept on the horsehair sofa, which was the most uncomfortable sofa ever slept or sat on and I got up and I just went to the piano and I've always been able to sight read because I've never known how not to sight read because I was made to play the piano when I was three mm. so it's music it's like reading books for me you know I just know how to play music and I just started playing I think it was it was Sprinkler and he hanging up the most and I well, had like this, the original manuscript it was on the piano because wow. it, it was her pride and joy yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. She, she lived on the on the royalties yeah. of, of those songs, you know. And um, I heard this, who's playing my goddamn song? <laughs> and I thought, oh my God. And then it all clicked into place. So, oh, it's oh. Not, oh, she wrote this. Oh my God. And I'd heard Shaka Khan at that point Fucking doing hell. it on Echoes of an Era with, with Trick Career. Yeah, yeah. I thought, oh, oh, and I went, hello. <laughs> and she went, you want a coffee? <laughs> and, you know, she was quite... Quite bra, like, quite Bruce, yeah. but really lovely. I mean, lovely. Introducing her to Gwyneth Herbert was another one. But mm. your question was Amy Winehouse. Yeah. And Amy, I dropped Amy Winehouse. We'd done the stables in in Wavendon, and I remember the next day I said, "Now you do, you will remember, won't you, to get your driver huh, to come to this is the address, eleven Duncan Terrace, and I'll wait there in my car." I was determined for them to meet. And they did meet, and they were in their in their room. Fran lived in her bed. She was mm. like, um, people know, came to her. She did, I yeah. love that. Like, just you know, she held court yeah. in the last ten years of her life. You know, she also wrote and wrote and wrote and wrote and wrote and wrote. And wrote. Simon Wallace and her wrote for twenty. Yeah, years. Yeah, well, I remember so. like um, I was having a late night orange juice, and I was blabbering on about how my view of relationships, and just because of how I've been you know, the people around me and my family and just relationships to me of a, an ex, a natural expiry date that is not a sad thing, but things change and people move on and things ebb and flow and blah, blah, blah. And that's, that's my reality. And you said, there's this amazing song that you must sing called Nothing Lasts Forever. You have oh, no yeah, idea about yeah, this, but it was yeah. such a fundamental moment for me. And me and Fergus McCready have been playing that for years oh, now. Stunning, but it's it? a beautiful song. Not fire the worm of time cream. is fading mm. upon your tender cheek. Mm. And this to like, yeah. ah, amazing. But anyway, yeah, that was Simon yeah. Wallace. Feeding. Yeah, feeding. Feeding on your cheek. Yeah. So they went to, the, so 
um, I took Amy upstairs and I sat and had a coffee and then they were up there for Akadim laughing and mm. then Fran put the telly on and um, they probably, you know, they skinned up because Fran smoked a lot of weed in the last 10 years of her life. And um, I thought, well, I'll just go for a walk and then probably three hours later I went back in the house and Amy was about to leave, you know, and, and just clearly, I would love to have known what they were Imagine yeah. Fran Lansman and Amy Winehouse yeah, for that wow, three wow. hours, you know, getting wow, stoned yeah. together, and 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 they died on the same day. That's a spooky yeah. thing. That was Fuck. really hard to deal with for me. I really bet hard, it was. really hard, because I just thought, no, that's not possible. And I was living in the same terrace, but down the road in a basement flat, but the same terrace. And I remember waking up and I heard Amy Winehouse music back to back and I was thinking oh what's this and yeah. uh, the singer Amy Winehouse has died yeah. and I spoke to her the Thursday before she she called me she said maestro we're going to have a girls night out on on Friday which is the night that she died on the Saturday and uh, like everyone you think wonder what would have happened if I'd mm, gone yeah. round yeah. to that awful house that she ended up in you know it was so cold and empty of stuff and mm-hmm. yeah. she was not happy there at all but she'd had plans of not she didn't she died she choked she died of any it could have happened to any anyone who had that amount of alcohol right you know? yeah so there was nothing mysterious about her death at all mm. she just drank too much too soon in one night and she choked and i just think and for them to die on the same day yeah and you automatically think there must be some celestial plan here. Yeah, like what the And they're is? riding together in these kind of yeah. filthy chariots, you know, and they're gonna <laughs> go and talk about lyrics forever and ever and ever, you know. Yeah. Brilliant. Yeah. It's brilliant. Yeah, that was Amy and that was Fran. Beautiful A lot people. of these people, I mean, it's amazing. These people that we look up to as such great artists that have been in your life and you and theirs and then I like but there was obviously people that inspired you like I know like Kate Bush oh, Bowie, yeah. like Joni like these yeah. like I've never met that, Joni Mitchell by the way yeah, I'd love like, to oh, is that I? The, the one do you that feel you, the same absolutely but it was scary though scared. Yeah, do you I'd remember she scared. did that interview where there was going to be a big um, concert <laughs> given um, where lots of people would celebrate her and sing her songs and they asked her how do you feel about being honoured in this way and she said honour died in World War 2 <gasps> Yeah, yeah. And you're like, oh Jesus Christ! Can you imagine meeting her? And there's no way you wouldn't say something stupid, yeah. and she, she would wouldn't get you. And she'd make time. you feel like a fucking idiot. Fucking yeah. absolutely. Yeah, yeah, you would feel very. Yeah, like, you would. Oh, yeah. yeah. You know, the my favorite picture in the world, I think, is her holding hands with David Hockney. Yeah. Oh, the most gorgeous. It shot is. There. They've just, both got really unusually vivid clothes on as well, haven't they? they? Yeah. And just like interesting little shapes that they both are. Yes. What a beautiful little thing, and they're just kind of holding each other's hands, and it's like this amazing, like how much life the two of them have lived combined. Because I see you've got, you've got uh, the David Hockney Martin Gayford yeah, book here. Modern. Spring oh, yeah. be cancelled. Yeah. yeah. You know. Martin Gifford is definitely my favourite art writer. Have yeah, you read superb. the book about uh, him sitting for Lucian Freud? Yes, I have. Oh, yeah, just have. the most gorgeous thing. Actually, when you mentioned the colony room, did you meet Francis Bacon? Yeah. Did, I did. you? Yeah. Oh, Can you tell me about that? Yeah. Well, my friend, who's, um, we were talking about at dinner earlier on, my friend Jim Moore, yes, uh, was Jim. very good friends with, with Francis Bacon. But uh-huh. I did meet him. I did meet him, and it's Molly Parkin's favourite story. Um, he and uh, my friend, who's called Rubber Phil. <laughs> <laughs> for, for very, no questions very, very, very <laughs> obvious <laughs> reasons. 
<laughs> I'm pouring a Negroni in a very unusual way here. I like it. It's not. I haven't really. There's not very. I'm this gonna is a, a podcast get Negroni. Ice. Um, I did meet him. I met him probably. Do you want me to get ice while you tell a story? Yes. Bottom drawer. Watch that. Watch that. Second wire. drawer up. I think. Yeah. Oh, right. Yes, it's um. Oh yeah, Francis Bacon. Um, I probably met him about ten times, but I was. We were okay. all a bit scared of him. The people. Of course. That, I got the impression that he didn't really like me or okay. like the people that I was hanging out with in the colony at the yeah. time. But he certainly liked Jim. But I did go back to his muse house. Did you? And there was there was a, a slight incident with him. Yes, slight incident a with me incident. and Robert Phil. Yeah, it was to do with the he he. I think he he wanted us to give him as my mum. He wanted to get involved in some smacking. Bit of smacking. A bit of smacking, yeah. yeah. But adorable man. I mean, completely unique and brilliant, and you know. He's um, my reason to live, Francis. Is he? Yeah. yeah. Such a passionate artist. Extraordinary. Yeah. Have you I, read the new book? The, yeah, yeah. Oh, I've just read it, and it's absolutely Thank stunning. Thank you for the ice. I remember oh, nice. <clears throat> seeing because when I moved to Leeds to study, um, I went to the art gallery, and I initially I went because there was a Walter Sickert painting there that I wanted to see, and I saw Head Six. Oh yeah. And, like, it's one of those memories where <clears throat> I can remember what I can smell and all of the feelings. And, like, yeah. it was like there is nothing that I've experienced like that. You know, there's, that's the first time where visual art really, like, caught yeah. me in this way. And the way that he talks about, you know, how do you recreate the sound of a scream in a in a stationary image <clears throat> and that sort of... The, the imagery of, like, that um, the battleship Potemkin image of the woman with the broken glasses and just his work is just it, it's so alive and 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 he just seemed like a oh, very complicated and mm. by no means saintly man but just he it was like he had the energy and the life of like 20 people with him yeah you know yeah yeah and like for me he is he's so whole personified in terms of mm. the type of person who made mm. that place his home and I guess the people that surrounded him and the yeah. French and all of that stuff. He was very selective with his friends. You know, he's very. He would come. He like he splashed his money around. Yeah. But in Soho, it's quite difficult to spend money if you've got that amount of money. You can only really buy yeah, yeah. everyone right. in the bar a drink. The champagne shit in there, you know. The <laughs> colony was ridiculous. You know, they used to get champagne from Tesco's or something. You know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Michael Wojas, you know, the barman. I've got, oh, yeah, I've got some things from him as well, like some old, some old bat talking about the. Yeah, oh, they've got all this. <laughs> no, I love it. I love it. <laughs> but it was quite difficult for him to spend yeah, yeah. that much money. He used to take people to Wheelers. Yeah, of course. <clears throat> and then, you know, it's notor- tea and- yeah, to get your tea there. You know, yeah. Notoriously expensive there, and he'd buy. But the thing that. I admired about him the most was the fact that he destroyed eighty percent of his oh, of his work. You know, so what we've what we're left with is accidentally that in the world. You know, know. just because of the, well, the final exhibition in Spain. You yeah. know, if that didn't happen, those works wouldn't exist. And it's think. extraordinary because you, you know, know I recently went to the Sophie Talbert art exhibition at Tate, and it's it's massive, really expansive, and it feels like you're walking through her life, mm. and. Um, it would be basically impossible to do that with Francis Bacon because most of it's gone. Yeah. Because he yeah. destroyed it or his partner destroyed it or he gave, you know, because he used to give canvases to um, 
Richard Chopping and yeah. Dennis Werther. Yeah, yeah. And like and then people would buy their works so that they could scrape their work off. Yes. And try and find a try Francis and find Bacon it. underneath. I know. Oh and it was my like God. Yeah, yeah. It, and because there's that have you there's a book called A Visitor Book, yeah, which is about yeah, which is yeah. just gorgeous. But, yeah, stunning. Um, yeah. but yeah, the amount of work he destroyed and, and yeah, that new book, Revelations, actually references quite a lot of works and then Every time I would read it, I'd think, oh, I'll have to check that. And it's like, no, it doesn't exist. You know, mm. there's a tiny number of people in the world who ever saw that, and it's just mm. gone now. Yeah. And it's quite, it's quite extraordinary, really. I do wish, I mean, I can say this because it's a very lively podcast that you do. It's not edited. But I do wish Jim Moore was here right now. So do I. Because he would, not, not just because of the Scottish connection, but oh, which is so gorgeous and squidgy for me, you know. Um, I'm a Celt, you know, so I'm gonna. Oh, just, yeah. But he, he, some of the stories he tells, he tells them like he just misses his friend, you know, yeah. and he wasn't. And also the scandals that surrounded uh, Francis Bacon, as you know, were very real. Mm-hmm. You know, when he fell in love, he fell, and he fell, he fell in love with the most. He was drawn to very fragile, fragile and violent, violent people. Troubled you know, men. the whole thing you know and I would look the people I didn't meet um, in in that in Daniel's book are the ones I, I regret I, I knew they were around um, people like um, well Dan Farson yeah. for example he was in my lifetime as well Norman Ballon is still a, still alive but I would love to have met people like Hen- Henrietta Morris and mm-hmm. you know because uh, we know people like that now mm-hmm. people, suddenly the era doesn't stop Mm. It just has a different coat. Yeah. It wears a different mantle, you know. But we are in the same world, you know. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, we wouldn't be sitting here in, 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 in my, my house, would we? No. We just wouldn't, would we? Right. You know, we are all in the same world. And it, it there's a continuum that, that in 30 years' time, you'll be talking about... Oh, do you remember when we went around? <laughs> and Absolutely. He, and he was talking about his time with, um, you know, William Shakespeare and... <laughs> And, and Christopher Columbus and Joan of Arc. Do you remember? Oh, it's got that silliness about it, isn't it, really? Um, I know who I'd rather be with. David Bowie. Can we talk about David mm. Bowie? Mm. Yeah, we can, yeah. You did you did you, some BVs. I did seven dates with David Bowie, yeah, oh, as, a, as a lowly dep. Because, um, oh, I can't remember his name. He had a very exotic name. Four, there were four. Did male you give him tonsillitis to get the dep gig? <laughs> <laughs> the prawn sandwich get. Yeah, it was through a, um, a company called Session Connection. They wanted someone who could read music. It was mm. as simple as that. Because mm-hmm. the parts were all kind of written out and very scored. Yeah, they were. And I don't really. Knew. The, the funny thing about that was um, I did a, a record called uh, Drawn to All Things, Journey Mitchell, uh, Songs of Journey Mitchell, and Richard Cottle, who I'd never met. And he went, did you do gigs with David Bowie? And mm-hmm. I said, yeah. He said, I was the second keyboard player. And it's like, well, <laughs> wow. I, I never met the band. I was too terrified. You know, yeah, you just yeah. turn up and do the gig. There's one VHS uh, film that my mum had and, you know, Blink If You Miss Me and my ill-fitting I was sausaged into these stripy suits. We were the Beauty <laughs> Brothers, you know. The, you've seen the thing. <laughs> so there's one bit of footage from somewhere like, oh, God, Rotterdam or somewhere, you know, really obscure... But that was a trip for me. That's never going to happen again. Yeah. You know, that that level of, um, I remember the phone call was it's for somebody very very famous, and I just thought, oh yeah, right, whatever. It's probably Paul McCartney or someone. Um, Shirley Bassey, no, no, David Bowie, and I just thought, come on, oh my come God. on. 
And it's quite hard work because you ha- it was quite rigid BVs, you know, uh-huh. and this funny little dance routine. And this lovely guy called... Oh, I can't remember his name. It's awful, isn't it? He was at school with David Bowie. George he said, just follow me, just follow me around, you know. <clears throat> so it did all this kind of sort of dancing and things. And we had handheld handheld radio mics. So it was like... Oh, hello, oh, Posh. Whoa! In 1987, 88? That is Posh. Yeah. I was so young, you know. But that was that. So that sort of blink and you'll miss it part of my life, really. But it was very exciting doing... And his voice was completely fucked because he was, you know, he was chemically very, very induced induced at that point, you know, by his own admission. It's something he talks about very openly. And he he, he was quite extraordinary. He wasn't as I imagined. He was much shorter and slighter and less godlike, you know. Isn't it always the Yeah, it's interesting how we sensationalise and idolise everyone's got icon status yeah and everyone had a mullet you know and I didn't I remember thinking I haven't got a mullet it wasn't called a mullet then though it was called a feather cut oh they're they're so back in (laughs) everyone in fucking East London's got a mullet I fancy have they have they really (gasps) if you come Broadway market Mm. oh my god everyone's got a mullet Everybody's got a mullet. But Kim's got. A, you, I love your hair. I love. Kim's I love hair. It's not it's so a much a cutaway, it's, isn't it? It's, uh, it's a I, 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 gorgeous. I'd call it an, an undercut. An undercut. Yeah, undercut. Yeah, but it's, yeah. it's a bit aggressive. It's quite an aggressive undercut. It's gone Listen, quite far up. I'm here for it. I like it. What I was gonna say though is what I really, really, really fucking adore about you is like how we can sit around this table and and it's like oh yeah when I was like doing comedy and when I boy and then Ronnie Scotts and like we haven't even touched on bloody like Cedar Walton and all sorts but are you conscious of like the span of what of your creative output as an artist like you've done all these things and they're all you they're all authentic to you because I'm I feel myself kick and bark against I'm like no I I don't want to be I'm a jazz singer I'm a this yeah. I'm a, I feel like we live in a world that's so you know you need to be on brand and marketable mm, and fucking mm. one one niche thing and yeah. really good at mm, it and we mm. talk about this a lot like yeah, there's so mm. many ways to express your creativity your mm, yeah. and like when I was thinking about people I knew there is few people I know that truly embody like multiple disciplines for their art and it feels authentic and you're one of those people and Definitely. are you conscious of that? I, I yeah I some I, it's not always great because sometimes you know I wake up and I think oh what am I I've gone I've been working on that and I've been working on that I'm a blagger as well you know I I get I'm king wing <laughs> I do get away with a lot of stuff I think you wonder what is it a comedy no, no I know I know that's sponsored cool. by that's, Love Honey by the way yes thank your, you very your, much which festival <laughs> were you at which festival were you at which what which Bath. Bath Comedy Festival which I've always wanted to play and Nick Steele invited me to play there um, it's a bit of a blag that as well really well that's it but, but I mean blag or no blag <laughs> the reality way. is you're doing yeah you, you, you know you've done it for a long time all these plates are spinning and you know, even like broadcasting. You started your own podcast in mm-hmm. the in the lockdown. Like with what, Jamie. There Sophia, we go. Yeah, friend, our dear yeah. dear friend. Yeah. That um, was, you know, it, like what inspired that? Like that just had to be done because I realised that um, I had to pierce the skin of how I was feeling. We all had different. Yeah. We all had very different podcast podcasts. We all lockdown, had very different podcasts. We do <laughs> lockdown experiences, and I just thought I've written this fucking book. You know, I could read some of that. And that's the memoir part of it. And um, it came from a very real, truthful 
place. There was no blagging in that at all. Mm-hmm. Every word of that is it's so, so wrong. It's so intimate. I don't censor anything, you no, know. And no. I just tell it as it is. And not even music came from my experiences volunteering in the Cali jungle. Right. That's yeah. where it came the, from. Yeah. You know, because I remember standing next to Toby Caruana from the famous Caruana clowning family. And we all went out there, you know, all do goodies with the instruments and hoodies for the, the, the refugees and things. And we suddenly thought, Jesus, this this is a whole new... This is a political crisis. Mm. This is not a refugee crisis. It's, this is politics. And we're right in the middle of the worst... This is 1930s Europe all yeah, over yeah. again, you know. And I just remember saying, what do you... What are you doing? He was dressed as a clown. It wasn't like he was delivering meat, <laughs> fish or bread. And I, he said, I'm a clown. And I, <laughs> what do you do? Yeah, what are you dressed? <laughs> and he was going to come in your delate dress. He wasn't even in, you know, a vibey, Lee Bowery influenced yeah. clown. He was a fucking like, clown. Like... You know, from 1927. Um, Lecoq, you know, the whole thing. And uh, he said, I'm a clown, he said, but you know what? The last thing they need is a fucking clown. And I went, well, I've just bought all this amazing, all these instruments, you know, because I spoke to this woman who ran a library mm-hmm. called Mary Jones, and I responded to her Facebook page and said, how do I volunteer, you know? And I brought out all these instruments, and I said, well, not, you know, not even music could really solve this thing, you know, so that not even music came mm. from that right. thing, okay. thing, you know, I suppose... Hello darlings, congratulations, you've made it to the end of part one of our delightful chat with the darling Ian Shaw, but do not worry, because there is indeed a part two, and it'll be up next week, or if you're catching up, it'll be on our feed right now, so go and check it out.